Good to have you worshiping with us today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Come and be with your brothers and sisters and worship the Lord with us. When you hear the word reverence, what comes to mind? When you hear the word reverence, what do you think of? I think about it, the first thing that goes, comes to my mind is I go back to growing up in the church, or at least attending Sunday school and church regularly. Reverence meant talking softly in God's house. It meant not running in church. It meant no eating in the sanctuary, or and it meant a lot of other things like this. You may have noticed that I have pretty much rejected uh, those ideas of reverence. I may have rebelled against them partially because in my experience and in my life and, and in my observation, they just didn't necessarily work. In fact, they tended to work against what I was fighting for. I wanted people to have a relationship with the Father through the sacrifice of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And walking or running or drinking Kool-Aid or not talking in a normal voice as opposed to a hushed voice in the sanctuary didn't necessarily seem to accomplish that. Was that really what God wanted and expected from us? Is that really a sign of reverence? Annie, uh, Annie Dillard writes, Reverence is not a word that can be easily applied to our society or even our churches. Irreverent, in fact, is a term often used to make novels and movies seem more attractive. Churches tend to tout their informality of dress and demeanor in worship and emphasize their intimacy with God rather than their reverence towards God. She goes on to say that uh, she imaginatively evokes the slouching irreverence of many Christians and the worship of God. On the whole, she says, I do not find Christians outside of catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or she says, as I suggest, does no one believe a word of it? She says, the churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT. She says, it is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats in church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return again. Today we're going to talk about the revival of reverence. Maybe back as far as the catacombs, when Christians hid because they were being persecuted and being hunted, for their belief in Jesus Christ, and they had a strong reverence for God. We're going to look at what I call four essential heart conditions for the practice of reverence, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19. As, you're all, as you turn there, what's Exodus 20 all about? Anyone? What's Exodus 20? What's coming in Exodus 20? The Ten Commandments, that's right. So we're getting very close to preparing for the receiving of the Ten Commandments. That's the backdrop for, for chapter 19. 
God has delivered his people. It's been about three months since that took place. And they, are, they, they, are, they have come out of Egypt with the intention of worshiping God. And they are getting ready to be prepared for that. So in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So here they are at Mount Sinai. They're getting ready for Moses to receive the Ten Commandments. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, we get a bit of a commentary on this event. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, referring to Mount Sinai, to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So that's the mountain that we are coming to today. That is the commentary in the New Testament, the Hebrew writer saying, that's not, what, that's not where we are. Fortunately, we did not have to come to that mountain. But this is what that mountain is, is about. And this, well, we'll just continue on here. Verse 3. So Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. So Moses went up. If you're going to practice reverence, number one, you need vulnerability. Vulnerability. Moses went up to God. You have to be willing to encounter God on his terms, on his mountain, maybe even a terrifying mountain. We need to approach him with awe, but we must agree to approach him. We have so many hurts, so many personal hang-ups, so much from the past, that we use that to keep a safe distance from God, lest he does break out on us. We've been hurt and we can't let go of it for fear that we'll be hurt even more. This is an amazing thing about joining a cult. If you're able to get out of it, when you do get out of it, then it's almost impossible. But if you are able to escape it, it is very difficult to allow yourself to believe again. To Even when you're confronted and presented the truth for the fear of being tricked again. We have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Edwin Friedman writes in his book, Failure of Nerve or Leadership in the Age of a Quick Fix, says this about, about the uh, necessity of vulnerability in not only leaders, but in each one of us. He says that one of the things that is necessary for a leader is a willingness to be exposed and vulnerable. One of the major limitations of imagination's fruits is the fear of standing out. In fact, that is interesting. As I've had opportunity to be in uh, in Japan, have dear friends from there, uh, they they describe it like you don't want to be a nail that is sticking up because it's going to be driven down. 
everybody is going to conform. Nobody is going to stand out. And she is saying one of the major limitations is the fear of standing out. It is more than a fear of criticism. It is anxiety at being alone. Being at a free throw line alone in front of hundreds of crowds, hundreds of people with the game on the line. It's anxiety of being alone, of being in a position where one can rely little on others. A position that puts one's own resources to the test. A position where one will have to take total responsibility for one's response to the conditions and environment. Leaders must not only be not, not be afraid of the position, they must come to love it. So first of all, vulnerability. You will have, nobody can do this for you. We each have to step out alone with God in order to live in reverence. And Moses steps out. He goes up to God. He leaves everybody, two and a half million people down below, and he goes up. And what did he find on this mountain, on his mountain? That would soon erupt into what we read there in Hebrews. It's like going up on, onto a volcano that is ready to erupt. But Moses goes up. And here's what he finds. Back to verse 3. This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob and what, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So this is what he is to, this is the message Moses is to bring back. That's a message of hope. That's a great message. Why were we ever afraid to go to God? Why are we ever afraid to turn to God in the first place? What we find here, A, is that he is a God of deliverance. He says, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. He's the one that brought you here today. He's the one that's been leading you your entire life. If you know him, you know that he's brought you out of slavery to sin. Appreciate it. Celebrate it. Remember it. B, we find that he is nurturing. He didn't just blow you out of there with, a, with hurricane-like winds. It says he carried you on eagles' wings. I tried to do a little research on this. Some of you maybe will Google it too, and maybe at the end of service will will share with me. I tried to find a YouTube video. Some some say that the way this 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 is a reference to how eagles teach their young to fly, and apparently once that little eaglet is beginning to fly, the the mother will actually be down below it so that when it to, to keep it from crashing and burning. Now that's my what I've read about it and what I understand about it, but wasn't able to find exactly that. But but it is interesting, you know, I was able to YouTube and see, uh, you know, the, the mother eagle as she would soar, they're protecting her her eaglet as they would make their first, their first uh, flight out. And the point is God is nurturing. And in the preparation for reverence, we need to remember that. Because we yearn for that. We need that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that 
That is the kind of relationship you have with me. And see, you are his treasured possession. He said, you will be my treasured possession of all. He says, I own everything. All the earth is mine, but you are going to be a special treasure for me. That's who you are before God. God called this people, these nobodies, these ignorant, uneducated, deplorables, people nobody else wanted. He called them out of all of the nations. They were least, and they were the only ones. And that nation now includes you and I, all believers. We are his treasured possession, he says. I'm good with that. How about you? Amen. And D, fulfill your destiny. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to be my priests. You and I are his priests to the world. That is our destiny. We have a destiny. We're to be God's light in the darkness, his voice in the silence. Sharing hope to the hopeless. A light to the nations. But you might want to set up. You might want to take note. Because as good as all of that is, the top is about to blow off of the mountain. And this is why I think our lives are so messed up at times. Why this country and this world is struggling so much. Because there is something we have to do. He says, if you will obey. If you will obey. When we make ourselves vulnerable to God, when we respond to his call, his invitation, there is some work that has to take place in our hearts. And first of all, number two, we have to obey. Our obedience is essential. In verse five, if you obey me fully, if you obey me fully. It's not a matter of just asking Jesus into my heart and then I'm saved and I can go out and do anything I want. These are the, this is how God is going to use us when we learn to obey him fully and walk with him. There's the rub. thought I just recited the sinner's prayer. Jesus came into my life and that's all I had to do. Well, grace is a gift that we have to receive. It is a gift and there are no strings attached. But aside from the law, even Jesus said, the test of our love for him is our obedience. If you love me, you will obey me, he says. In other words, if you receive Jesus, you will wind up obeying him either the hard way or the easy way. And so Moses takes this message down to the people. And in verse 7, he went back and he summoned the elders of the people. And he said before them all of the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. They are excited. They, they love this message. They were waiting to hear some good news like this. They are up for it. We'll do everything the Lord has said. That's the flesh talking. That's pride talking. How do you know you're going to do everything? Now you might say, hey, we're going to try. We'll try to do that. But the truth of the matter is, before the chisel had cooled down from the chiseling of the Ten Commandments in that granite, they'd broken every single one of the Ten Commandments. How typical for us. 
I want to do it, God. I want to follow you. I will do it, and then I don't do it. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, before you say, Lord, I will obey you, we better be careful and ask for his help and his strength. And he's about to give them some strength. He's about to give them a, a little bit more motivation here, if you will. Verse 9. So the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud. So the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses said to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him, whether man or animal. He will not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. So number two, we have to have obedience, and number three, holiness. Holiness. To be holy is to be set apart for a specific purpose. And this is where I think we traditionally have missed it, and we continue to miss it. We're to prepare our hearts and our lives to meet the Lord. I hope today, as, as, as Rod and the deacons and the other leaders led us in communion, you prepared your heart to take that communion. You prepared your heart ahead of time to come today to meet the Lord for Sunday school, for worship, for your prayers and your devotions, that it's not just a ritual, but it is a relationship. Martin Luther said, if you don't sing, you don't believe. That's harsh. But the point is, prepare yourself. Be, be active. Be a part of it. Set yourself apart. Whatever it takes, clean the clothes. Wash, go, go down and tell them to wash up and wash your clothes. Get on some clean clothes because we're going to meet with the Lord. Get your mind focused. Even We even find they're going to abstain from sexual relations in verse 15. He said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. So they're to get their minds focused on meeting with God. They're to put some limits. As a, as a youth pastor one night... Uh, about a half hour into youth group, I, I locked the church, the front doors. We had a group of uh, a very popular girls at that time who made it all about them. And they traditionally showed up fashionably late. One night I locked them out. It wasn't all about them. I wanted to know it wasn't all about you. They had a way of making it that way. We're great friends today. They really never did come back to youth group. They said the church should not be locked and perhaps it shouldn't be. But this isn't something to play with. Moses was to put guards around the mountain. Don't let anybody come up and touch the mountain. Now, whether he built a fence, or I think he must have put guards there, because I doubt he had snow fence or, or electric fence or whatever. Put people there. Don't let animals 
or people come up and touch the mountain. You know, as soon as you tell somebody not to do something, that's what they want to do. This isn't something to be played with. Set guards so no one can come near me, God said, lest I break out against them. Don't think it's all about you. It's all about me. It's all about God, and it's all about coming to Him on His on His terms. He has made it. He's made Himself available, but He still has conditions, and starts, of course, with the heart and being set apart. Verse sixteen. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. So this is the noise we just read over in in Hebrews. They wanted to cover up their ears and they wanted it to stop. Please stop. I can't take any more of this. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. Okay, guys, come on. We're going to go meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up the mountain. He put guards out there, because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, Go down and bring Adam, bring Aaron up here with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up here to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Number four, we need some awe. We need some awe. Thank God we can read about this. We're 3,500 years removed from this. I read earlier in Hebrews, however, even in the New Testament, where Moses at that time was trembling with fear. God is holy. And the problem with reverence or irreverence is we've we've not only brought him down to our level, I mean, look at how we use his name. Look at how common we treat him. The only reason we can come to him at all is because of and through Jesus Christ. But we are to enter with reverence even then. Colin Brown in New Testament Dictionary writes, Fear and reverence of God and also of Christ provide both the motive and the manner of Christian conduct. Jesus himself impressed upon the disciples the absolute necessity to fear God. In Jesus' words, fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And in another place he said in Matthew, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus' warning, like the teaching of the apostles, points unambiguously to the prospect of judgment. We're to put limits. Moses was to put limits around the mountain. 
Do not force your way through, he warns them, so God does not break out against you. He's not only going to break out against them, but if they come up and touch the mountain, they are to be, they are to be killed, but not by anybody's hands being laid on them, lest their disobedience is transferred through to the one who is executing them. They were to be shot with an arrow or stoned with stones. Now, people are uncomfortable with this and will say, how can a loving God behave in such a way? What is his problem? What's his hang-up? How can a loving God do such and such? You fill in your blank. Well, first of all, when you make a theory like that, that, well, maybe God isn't loving. How can a loving God, which is implying that he is not loving, when you make a theory like that, you're in dangerous territory. You wind up with theories like the theory of evolution, which says, although we know that living matter cannot come from living matter, just this one time, we know that non-living matter cannot... What do we know? I don't know what we know. We know that living matter does not come from non-living matter. But just this once, it did. Or we wind up with, it's not a baby. It's a clump of cells. It's a clump of cells that just after a few weeks actually has a brain and a heart and feelings and emotions. The question of God being a loving God was settled 2,000 years ago. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I don't know of a greater act of love than to give your one and only beloved perfect child as a sacrifice for people who pretty much disrespect and hate you. In fact, I'll read that for you. Verse 17 of John chapter 3. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Late Thursday evening after the preschool graduation, Kay and I jumped in the car and ran up, headed towards Coeur d'Alene. Spend a day and a half or with the, with the grandsons up there uh, 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 playing uh, Swallow Jonah and the Wrestle Fight and Billy Goat Gruff and baseball. And we're exhausted and we're glad to be home. And, but we sure wore the kids out too, I'll tell you that. We're at the park and uh, Grammy and the two boys were off walking across the park and I'm sitting there kind of watching it and and thinking about the conditions in the world right now and you know hearing the, the Ontario police issue a warning a few weeks ago that uh, you know watch out for you know to be targeted because of, of the sex trafficking and kidnapping and that kind of thing and it's all over all around us in the news and I've thought about you know what would I as a grandparent do to get one of my grandchildren back and uh, and the answer is anything that is mo that is moral, and then who knows beyond that? I would do anything 
to get my kid back. Man did not always have this estranged relationship with God. Our parents, Adam and Eve, the first humans, once walked daily with God. And uh, what they wore into his presence really didn't matter. They could come in in casual dress, informal, even naked. But then they began to doubt him and question him. And they were fooled by Satan and their own reasoning, and they sinned. And sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death every time. Now, if I were to pass out and die right here, you'd still have to move me. But my soul and bot and my soul and spirit, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, they would not be here anymore. That's the separation. My spirit, my soul is gone. My body may remain there. That's the wages of, of sin. It is this separation. Not necessarily a physical death immediately. They were told, when you sin, you will die. It didn't happen immediately. The separation from God happened immediately. Immediately they were clothed and then they were then they were taken out of the garden. Sin separates us from a holy God. Sin separates a holy God from sinful man. The world was stealing God's children and trafficking them in sex and drugs and anger and doubt and lack of faith, and, and everything else imaginable. And then God breaks out. That's why God breaks out. It's not because he's got a short fuse or he's upset with us. It's because when we don't obey him, we invite trouble into our lives. When he breaks out, he is breaking out against those who are stealing his children. It is to demonstrate to us, it is to demonstrate to us that this is a problem. It's a huge problem. It needs to dress. But he loves us as he just made it very clear to them. He loves us and he has the solution if we will just accept that. And it's through reverence and respect for God that allows us to be in position to be rescued. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for breaking out. Thank you, Father, for breaking out on my behalf, on behalf of everyone in this room, all your children in the world, all of our grandchildren, those loved ones that we care so much about. Thank you, Father, for caring for them, for not giving us what we deserve, Thank you for not only caring for us and them, but for loving us by sending your Son. Lord, help us to learn to respond to that in an appropriate way, to not, to not think that it's to not to not think of it as anything that is common or ordinary or in any way take it for granted. Thank you for sending your cherished Son allowing him to be beaten by us, to be abused, to be ultimately hung on a cross and killed so that we might have a relationship with you. Father, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.